Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure you automatically hear about each episode, sign up for our RSS feed either at iTunes or on the radio page of our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio, or if you uh, don't get your podcast through iTunes but get it through something else like Stitcher or whatever you have on your phone, um, you can just type in our name and subscribe there as well. And while you're at it at iTunes, we would really appreciate your rating the show. And if you feel particularly industrious, you could also leave us a comment, and that would be greatly appreciated. Today's show will be an interview with Nia Vardalish, actress, author, mom, and everything else. Uh, I am Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education, resources, and support for both adoption and infertility. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean you're going to lose your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medications and through fertility, I mean through Faring's Heartbeat program. To learn more, visit heartbeatprogram.com or of course you can talk to your doctor uh, or a fertility doctor or your oncologist. I am so happy to announce that the first we will be having the first ever Creating a Family Book Club. It was by popular demand, I might add. I've, I've not been drugged in, kicking and screaming. We just haven't figured out all the details. We do know, however, that we will be reading Growing Up Black and White by Kevin Hoffman. It's a memoir of a brown kid growing up in a white family in the 70s and 80s. He writes in such a moving and humorous way about his difficulties of feeling neither black nor white, his family's loving support, and his struggles really to define and embrace his own identity as he grew up. It is really a good book. Uh, we're still, as I mentioned, working out the details of how the club is, is actually going to work. It's probably going to be a combination of a webinar to allow actual person, real-time, in-person, real-time type of discussion, as well as a combination of that and blogging. We'll share the specifics in our newsletter. So if you, already, if you aren't already on our newsletter, now is the time to remedy that. You can go to any page of our site, creatingafamily.org, and you will find the sign-up box at the top left corner. Or, if you would rather, just send me an email and we will add you. And I'll go ahead and give you my email, uh, and uh, I will direct it to the right person. Dawn at creatingafamily.org. And just in case you're wondering, we send out an e-newsletter two times a week, and we never, ever share your email address with anyone for any reason. So, no reason not to sign up. Something you're going to hear about in the newsletter is my blog. I blog three times a week, and my subjects are usually relevant to adoption or infertility. A recent one you might enjoy, it was my blog yesterday titled 24 Hours. As many of you know, my husband and I, uh, on the side, lead groups to work at orphanages, and we just got back Sunday, uh, or actually Sunday morning very early or Saturday night very late, from a week uh, at an orphanage in Mexico, and the blog yesterday 
was about uh, the contrast of that experience down there uh, with a uh, somewhat, a Facebook message that was posted on our Creating a Family Facebook group about uh, a woman who was leaving in 24 hours to pick up her uh, 21-month-old uh, with special needs uh, from China. Um, and, and also talking about the whole idea of what it, what makes a good orphanage and, and what children really need. Anyway, I I recommend that you uh, read it at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, couldn't happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas providing both domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and probably most important, post-adoption support to families throughout the U.S. And we also have, uh, let's see, I think I've got, who else did I have in here? Nightlight Children's Adoption with offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina. And they have adoption programs throughout the world, as well as a domestic infant program and their well-known Snowflakes Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program. So, Welcome. Let's see. Today's show is going to be an interview with, as I just mentioned, Nia Vardalis. She is an actor, actress, I should say, of the My Big Fat Greek Wedding, plus other films, I should say. She's of that fame. She's also the author of a new book, Instant Mom, and she is a foster care adoptive mom. We're going to talk about her years of struggling with infertility and how she ended up adopting from foster care. Welcome, Nia, to Creating a Family. Thank you. It's so nice to talk with you. Well, I'm going to admit something. I, I, uh, which this is a weekly show, and I've been doing it for six and a half years, and I pride myself on reading every book for every author. I just think it's if somebody's going to give us an hour of their time, it's just polite uh, in um, uh, in response for me to make certain that I read the book. I will say that I haven't completely finished this book, but there is a good reason for that. I have perfected over the years a very quick reading style. I can I can get through a book. Uh, and but as I'm reading Instant Mom, I am enjoying it so much that I decided a day, well, really two days ago, that I simply didn't want to hurry through it. I was enjoying it too much, so I just said I took it off of my reading list and put it on my bedside table list uh, pile, I should say, and uh, am just working my. I'm almost completely finished it. I have thoroughly enjoyed it, I, although I I knew I would because the subject matter is what it is. But what I didn't realize, you're a darn good writer. Oh, thank you so much. I actually have not written in this way since I wrote My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I have not been as fearless and candid since my first script. My subsequent scripts from I Hate Valentine's Day to Connie and Carla, I was mostly writing with usually a director is involved at that point or the studio has notes. But the unfettered process of my first script led me to all the, you know, the not necessarily the success in terms of being a known person, but led me to feeling heard. So I approached the process of writing this book in the exact same way. I decided, I told HarperCollins, please just let me write a draft. I'll give it to you early if you just don't tell me what you expect from me at all. I'll just do it. And I found the process to be cathartic in that I just revealed way more than I thought I was going to do. But I put it all in, and I didn't show it to a friend or family until it was printed. So I couldn't I couldn't change my mind. Well, your voice does come through in it. And I wonder if it's not because 
uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding was also, it's not autobiographical, but has an autobiographical flavor. Of course, Instant Mom is the true story. Um, but I wonder if, if it wasn't easier, maybe your, your true voice comes through because you're writing about yourself Any, in both cases. Is that a possibility as well? It's, but in the first one, I thought I was trying to create a, a Greek role for myself, so that's why I wrote that movie. But this time, I started the process thinking, I'm going to write a how-to-adopt book. I was looking for credible information when I was looking for adoption, and uh, by the time we were matched with our daughter, she was three, almost three years old, and then we had 14 hours. That's why the book is called Instant Mom, because like all moms, there was no preparation whatsoever before. Well, I also our find the name very ironic because, in in one way, yes, you were instant, and you can't see me. I'm doing air quotes around it. But in another way, you were far from instant. You had been trying for over nine years to become a mom by the time Alaria entered your life. So, you know, I think I, I don't know if you intended the irony, but perhaps because uh, I, as well as our our audience, comes from the background of. Of uh, we have all we all know what it means to have struggled to achieve parenthood, so I, I wonder if I, I felt like it was perhaps a, a tongue in cheek as well as um, a um, an actual uh, tie. I mean, uh, reflecting the reality, but also reflecting uh, the irony of the of the reality. Yes, it really. Thank you. It really is meant to be with a wink to the audience of. Yeah. Uh huh. It took me nine years to get here. And yeah. yet it happened again in the blink of an eye. So it's a wink and a blink in that uh, I just I was stunned by how quickly it did happen when we met with the American foster care workers. I was amazed that within nine months, again, ironically, I became a mom. And I was amazed how uh, how quickly our daughter moved in. And then the book is, I hope, funny and yet brutally honest on what happened next, how yeah, on earth we worked. transitioned yeah. in almost three-year-old child. Well, we're going to get to that, but let's start at the beginning, which I guess is always a pretty good place to start. Um, when did you realize that getting pregnant and carrying a baby to term was not going to be easy? How old were you and kind of, and how long did that part take to really sink in? Um, I think it was a nine-year process for me of just not really accepting facts. I'm one of those people that I don't take no for an answer, and I tend to push through, especially when things are difficult. So I had a lot of friends who were going through it, I had cousins, of course, so I didn't really take it all that seriously. And then I had a turning point where the fertility doctor suggested that I just be kinder to my body is how he put it and um it was eye opening that he was so so compassionate taking me aside alone in his office and saying it's time to move on and of course i was not ready to do that and he, i said what would you do if you were me and he said well i have adopted two dogs and they have brought me more happiness than my children ever have <laughs> Oh dear, uh, yeah. We we don't want to necessarily think of our kids as as the equivalent of adopting a dog, but nonetheless. But you went through thirteen IVF cycles, and and all I can say is, wow. Yeah, why? That's a lot. Uh, and and I do hear from. It's interesting you because we have a foot as in creating a family. We have a foot in both the infertility world and the adoption world, and people think. Uh, before they know much about it, they would assume that those two worlds are somewhat adversarial, but they're not at all. I hear from infertility doctors not infrequently at all 
Uh, yeah, I'm so glad to know that there's a resource that will help people on both ends with both infertility and adoption because sometimes we really do need to move people past infertility to adoption or to some other, you know, acceptance of a child-free lifestyle or something else. And often people are resistant. Why do you think it, I mean, you went, even after the doctor said that, you went through a couple more cycles. And, and those cycles, as you brutally point out in the book, are not easy. Why was it so hard for you to stop, do you think? I think because I'm an obstinate person, I'm quite stubborn, and um, I felt that I could overcome it. Mm -hmm. I now realize that there was just a greater plan for me and that I was supposed to make each step that I made, these plodding steps towards motherhood, led me to my daughter. So I was I'm almost grateful. In fact, I'm wholly grateful for all of that. I'm also wholly grateful that I did take that doctor's advice and adopt our dog because he healed us in that okay. way. In, we would lay on the bed looking at this beautiful, selfless creature and think, I love him so much as if mm -hmm. he came from my body. And in a way, it mentally prepared us for well, why wouldn't we adopt a child? What's so great about our DNA? And it, we moved on. We, we grieved and moved on to the next step. I don't recommend it to anyone. I don't recommend adoption or dog adoption or infertility <laughs> treatments or anything to anyone. This is just my story and what I went yeah. through. Yeah, no, I understand. I think uh, I, I appreciated very much the part of the book where you talked about the need to grieve that's a kind of a recurring theme over here. Um, we do encourage people to just take some time. I mean, the the move from from genetic parenting to non-genetic parenting, be it to, you know, donor egg, be it to surrogacy, regard our adoption, traditional adoption. You know that there is a loss there, and and you talked about just stepping back and taking time off. And actually, you wrote two screenplays during that time, so it was a very productive time. But you weren't acting, and you just you you accepted the fact that you were in pain and needed just needed time and you had a quote i just love it said any decision made in fear is a reaction not an action and i love that uh, and i think it's so true um the need to to allow yourself to grieve and you you talked about it in the book um, um as i said brutally honestly how painful that time was for you I, I get asked so often from people, sweetly, you know, why don't you do more movies? And first of all, because I write my own movies, so it takes me a while. And then second of all, because I, I, I mentally, I, I took care of myself mentally, and that was the best thing that I could have done, just to say, I need to make a living. Fine, I will make a living writing screenplays, but I'm not going to put myself through the grueling, and glaring lights of being an actor. And I'm so glad I did it. I'm so, so glad. Sure, I, I turned down opportunities that I wish I had taken, but for what? Uh, the, I would right. be a raggedy mess. Yeah. And, and in addition to 13 IVF cycles, you also uh, uh, tried surrogacy twice with two different surrogates, and, I, and both of those failed as well. Uh, did you ever consider donor eggs? I mean, because that's a decision many in our audience have had to make, whether their next step would be donor egg or adoption or donated embryo or something like that? Or did you immediately move straight to adoption when the surrogacy failed? 
No, we took just took time to think it think things over and um while I was going through the process of grieving, my husband was as well talking things through and it was his decision uh to not do donor eggs. He just said that doesn't make sense to me at all. Mm-hmm. And again, if anyone's doing it, it's completely up to them. We had very, very good friends and she carried the pregnancy to term. So my husband and I talked about that. Would that be helpful for me? And ultimately, by then we had started to hear about the 500,000 kids living in American foster care. And mm-hmm. our minds started to just change completely. Mm-hmm. My best friend said something that was fantastic. She said, uh, giving birth is not what makes you a mother. Mm-hmm. That also opened my mind too, is because she had two biological children, and that made me realize, wait, what am I doing? And then each thing started to make sense to me, and that's why I'm very adamant that if someone is doing egg donation, it's because it makes sense to right. you, and you mm-hmm. should only do what makes sense to you, not because it worked for your friend, because ultimately. Those pants never look good on two people. There's no such thing as sisterhood of the traveling pants. Yeah, well, it depends on the pants. It have to be elastic waist and pretty baggy. And actually, that wouldn't exactly. look good on any girl. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, and we're all unique. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we move away from the the irony zone, you found out about your Academy Award nomination on the way to an infertility clinic. So if that's not if that's not poignantly ironic, I don't know what is. Yeah, it was the morning of, the morning of, and then I had to get into the car and drive. And drive, yeah. During a rainstorm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. During really bad weather as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and, and but then you did move uh, towards uh, starting to explore adoption. So I want to talk about some of the things you explored up first. When you were talking, I will say, uh, in the part of the book where you were discussing, you know, when you're, you're beginning to, because you were looking at all your options, which is smart, and you were looking, there was so much a part of me that was just wanting to reach out and go, oh, we are here for you. <laughs> just turn and find us. We can offer you support. You were struggling so much, and you went down so many paths that just weren't the right one, and you just didn't have information, which is a part of why you have become an advocate and why you wrote the book, and there is a how-to part uh, in your book, and it answers a lot of questions. And, but all along, you know, that that's why we exist, is to help folk like you and and so as I'm sitting here, I was reading, I was going, oh, Mia, honey, we're here for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it. it's so strange how the, I just didn't know how to reach out. I did yeah. the research, but I, I, I relied on the Internet, and I called it the late-night Internet haze of just, what's credible? What's real? Wait, oh, oh is this a site? Amen. No, it's, it's an advertisement for, yeah. you know, so mm-hmm. it was so difficult, but I think, I, again, I'm grateful for all that because I learned, I learned so much, and that's why the back 25 pages are the how to adopt appendix. Everything exactly. I learned, I put in the book. Well, and, and, and as I say, part of the reason we exist is for that very reason. You know, our our uh, motto is unbiased, accurate information because that's so – and you're right. It is so hard to know. And I think the Internet both has been a blessing and a curse in that way because it's a blessing because it allows us to find easily information, but a curse because you don't know whether it's it's accurate. You don't know whether it's unbiased. You don't know whether it's BS. You just don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 particularly when you're in pain, and particularly in your late night internet haze, yes. 
Um, we are listening to Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for infertility and adoption, and we have tons of resources that we offer without charge to you because, well, that's our mission. So go check them out, like our tips for preparing older children for adoption. We have a lot of tip pages on our site. You can find that under adoption resources, actually under older children adoption. We also have uh, extensive resources on foster care adoption, and you can find all sorts of things there as well. This show would not exist without the support of our sponsors, including our gold sponsor. We have Adoptions from the Heart, providing domestic U.S. adoption, home study services, surrogacy in India program, and an embryo placement program. And and a, uh, uh, let's see, what else do they have? They have offices in Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. So kind of all over. Uh so let's move to talk about your adoption journey. What adoption options did you consider? I mean, you talked about them in the book. You looked at uh, domestic infant adoption. I was kind of mm-hmm. curious when I why because when you were going through all this, this was really the heyday of adopting from China. So I was uh, curious as to why that wouldn't have jumped to the fore because at the time, oh, the waiting time was less than a year for sure. Um, back then. So uh, was that something that you even considered or or not? Yes, we were on the waiting list for China uh, and also were on the waiting list for Greece. We, uh, in the time that we were on the waiting list for China, something closed or we were advised that it was going to be difficult, and so I can't remember why we we just were we didn't get the greatest advice. I'll be honest. You know, I I I so recommend your show for exactly that reason that there would be advice. I could just ask you where's the best place to go, but we had a friend who um, did not have a positive experience, and because of that, we removed our names, which was ridiculous because we had a friend who had a positive experience, but at the yeah. time. I was, you know, really looking, looking, looking. And anyway, our, we're back on. So uh, yeah. that could work as, again for us. And then um, we're also on the waiting list for Greece. There have only been five out-of-country adoptions that have been legalized in Greece. Uh, my opinion of that is it's the same as, as with Russia. Until these children are placed and taken care of by the citizens of that country, there's just there isn't a reason other than perhaps they don't have the resources to monitor those children once they're placed. But this is ridiculous. There are children languishing in orphanages, or worse, and there are there are parents who want to adopt these children. So I'm just I'm frustrated. I really am. We're taking the proceeds from this book from Instant Mom and just going back, and I'm. There's a, an orphanage in Mexico that we'd like to donate to. There's an adoption group that I'd like to donate to. We're just going to donate, donate, donate. So when you say about instant mom, buy a book, get a kid adopted, because I was so frustrated by how unregulated the process can be sometimes Absolutely. that I would like to try and fix it with the proceeds from this book. Well, that's a, not only would you get a great read through Instant Mom and an enjoyable, uh, uh, just a fun read, uh, it would do good. So that's that's great. Um, why did you choose then to adopt from foster care? You said at some point it just started making sense. Why? What What was your thought process, you and your husband as well, Ian? Well, it would be the same way in if, a, if a woman hears about egg donation and that quiet voice in her says, ah, this is what I want to do. 
this is what made sense to me when I heard about the 129,000 legally freed, emancipated children in American foster care and the 350,000 kids that were looking for loving foster homes while they waited for their birth parents to get it together and prove to a judge that they could be responsible parents. Again, quietly, it made sense to me. And I explained it to my husband, and he nodded and said, yep, yep, this is the way for us. Mm -hmm. We found something that worked so well, which is the foster family agency. It's a free service in every state. Of course, the laws are different in every state on how to adopt. But a foster family agency is a network of social workers. It's a free service. They will guide you through the process. And Mm -hmm. when I found out about that, once I met these women and they came to our house and they helped us with the home study and the fingerprinting and advised us which courses to take, I, I called them the super pretty angels. And I made a mental note of I will write about these women one day. I, of course, because I write screenplays, I always thought I would write a, a movie about them. I never really realized that I would write a book called Instant Mom. I have no idea, no idea that where I found the bravery to write this book, except for that I met selfless people over and over again, these social workers that work to make a better life for children. Well, you know, so we it's early up. yet. It may turn into a movie. How do you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, it, I think it makes a better book because I can really explain myself clearly in the book. Yeah. And those, the How to Adopt Appendix is fully vetted by a social worker. I, and I... I I feel like, as you said, I was careful. I was n- I was heedless as I wrote it, and then I went back, and I was careful to make sure there wasn't anything embarrassing about my daughter, for ex- that anything that would embarrass her in later years mm-hmm. uh, when she's 16. That's why it's a mom book, but there isn't one potty training story. You know, because the kid's going to be 16 one day, and I don't want some boy in her class to know about her potty training years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I was, that was uh, something I was going to come to at the end, but we'll go ahead and talk about it now. I think uh, I've also written a book on the uh, uh, a number of years ago, uh, and um, the com- uh, complete book of international adoption. And in it, it was, it was something that I also had to think about. How much do I share of my children's story? And as someone who who blogs three times a week, I've had to deal with that. And and uh, a lot in our group, uh, the Facebook, the Creating a Family Facebook support group is a closed group. But we, uh, but other uh, my other presence is on uh, social uh, media and social networks is not. And something that we think about a lot, or a lot of us do, is how much. Uh, how much is it our story? Because it is our story, but it's also our kids' story. So how do we balance that uh, between what we are telling and what right do we have to tell our kids' story? I struggled with it, and I had imagined that you did as well. How did you? What was kind of the thought process you went through when writing and, and how you figured that out, that balance? I, I try to imagine her at 16, at 21, 30. How would she feel about this book? I first, she's almost eight now, and um, I first asked her permission to write a book about adoption. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to reveal your name for the first time. And she said, that's okay, because she knew because it's on sports teams and school, and it's impossible to keep it a secret anymore. 
And I wanted to tell the story of how she chose her own name. We had been advised by the social workers because she didn't respond to her name and she was a little withdrawn. They said it might help her have a fresh start. So that's an interesting story. I'm going to put that in. She so felt a part of the book, feels a part of the book now, a part, not a part, a part of the book on the team of it that the morning that I was leaving for this book tour, she it's 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, in that beautiful way that kids throw their arms around your neck. She whispered in my ear, go get some kids adopted. <laughs> so that's yeah. how I approached it. Anything in the book that is okay with her, I put in. Well, and, and the 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 um, uh, the other thing is that if we don't share our story, then we're withholding support in a way. So there's that there's that counterbalance that other, hearing stories of other adoptive parents helps other uh, helps others. And so there's that uh, I interviewed Melissa Faye Green, who wrote the book uh, There Is No Me Without You, and about and then she uh, uh, let's so I'll screw up the. Uh, no bike riding in the house without helmets about her adoption of her children from Ethiopia. And we actually don't think talked about it online, but we did talk about it offline, about how we both were we constantly thinking about that that balancing act between sharing to help others but not oversharing and, and overstepping our children's boundaries. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's not easy, you know? <laughs> Yes, it's not. And for me, because um, my husband and I are incredibly private people, we, even though I put my family in all my movies and I write about my family in my screenplays, I still, my approach to humor has always been, come, laugh with me. My big fat Greek wedding does not make fun of Greeks or my family in any way because I love them. And so I did the same with this book. I approached the book of, Come on this journey with me and let me tell you how I found my daughter. But I don't embarrass her in any way. We went through the entire book. Ian, my husband, is an actor on Cougar Town. My husband and I went through the entire book before it was printed and discussed each story. And ultimately, we felt that it it would be okay with her. And that's mm-hmm. it. You know, it's out there. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, from my perspective, you walk the line just fine. But, um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I and I had my children were a little older when I wrote the book, but I had a section where I we were talking about circumcision, and I went up and talked to my 17 year old son and asked him afterwards. Uh, I said, "May I may I quote this conversation in the book?" I said, "You could think about it and, and get back with me." His name wasn't used, but nonetheless, and he uh, he came back and he goes, "Yeah, mom, go ahead. Nobody's going to read that book anyway." <laughs> Wait, well, thanks a lot, honey. <laughs> I really appreciate your vote of support. Um, but anyway, you know. So let's go back to talking about there are uh, just for our audience' sake. There's really two basic ways to adopt from foster care. One, you can go through what's called the foster to adopt. It's called different things in different states: foster adopt, foster adopt, foster to adopt where you go in and you are a foster parent uh, and you are a licensed foster parent and you're fostering a child with the hope that if the uh, family reunification does not happen, you will be the one who is chosen to adopt the child. Um, And... uh, but there's another way, and that is to adopt a child that has been whose parental rights have already been terminated. So now you faced both of, uh, as you mentioned, there are um, always, almost in every place, a need for families to adopt, uh, to, to foster. 
uh, and there are uh, 107 or 120, depending on who you, what statistics you look at, there are different statistics, but of children who are already, their parental rights have already been terminated, and they are uh, currently waiting. Um, which program did you choose and why? Um, we had tried different programs. Uh, we looked at adopt. We went directly to the state. Ultimately, we had said that we did not want to be matched with a child whose parental rights were not terminated, because we were very fearful at the time that we would experience more loss. And also because my husband and I are public figures, we did not want to invite any trouble whatsoever from unscrupulous individuals who might recognize our faces. And ultimately, when we met our daughter, she was legally emancipated. She was legally freed. But I became so incensed that something would go wrong, and I'm very honest about it in the book, even though the social workers assured me everything was fine, I became so fearful that something would go wrong for a short period that um, I realized in that moment it didn't matter if I had been matched with someone who was not legally emancipated, I would have gone to court and fought for this child. So either way is the route that you want to take. And when I say fight for this child, it's not always a fight. Sometimes they're just in the system. Their parents report. They find out that they're, you know, they're, there's a chance their child might get adopted by a loving family, and they relinquish rights very often. The birth parents will relinquish their rights in the hope that their child will have a better life. Well, but often it doesn't happen that way. Uh, and so the reality is uh, I encourage people to realize that when you go in to foster to adopt, you take on the role, but the role of our foster care system is to heal the birth family. And foster parents are called upon to, to be a, a player in that reunification. And and, oh, and that yeah. is, in my opinion, as, as it should be. Um, yeah. But it's... But nonetheless, it's it can be very heartbreaking. Um, but the the there is a huge need you know, for foster parents, and and quite frankly, I mean, some in my from my, my experience, some counties and some states, but it's really more on a county level, county level, do a better job than others at trying to determine which families they think will be able to get their act together and, and work their program and get their children back and, and not place those kids in with foster parents who are truly wanting to adopt. Other counties, and I've talked and interviewed uh, many uh, social workers who say it really is impossible to know, so we don't even try. So you just know, need to know going in that um, you can ask and, and try to get as much information as you can, but it is a risk you take. But on the other hand, you have been a, a presence in that child's life and a blessing in that child's life, even if it's not for the rest of his life or her life. Yeah. So you opted for the uh, uh, when the child's parental, the parental rights had permanently been terminated. But as you say, it didn't necessarily uh, alleviate your anxiety that something would fall through. Uh, how old was your daughter? Our daughter was almost three years old when we met, Okay. and we had a meeting, and then we waited to see if they would match us with her, but immediately upon meeting her, I was trying to say yes, and they said, I'm very proud when I say that yay, they, it's the social workers, they really followed protocol and said, you must follow the rules. You must take 24 hours. You must wait. And it's so smart that they do that. 
because ultimately within six months you will be before a judge and a judge will look over your file and make sure the protocol was followed. So mm -hmm. it's best to just follow the rules. And it's, I'm not really a rule breaker. It's just that I kept saying, no, please, let me take her home right now. And they yeah. said, I can't, we can't. Yeah. You say that she chose you. Uh, why don't you tell the story of why you think that, she, well, that led you to believe that she was choosing you as much as you were choosing her? When we walked toward her, we we drove to meet her, and she was in a social worker's arms and um, facing the other way. And as we got out of the car, we knew that she had been, we asked, please don't tell this child that they're meeting potential parents. And they said, we don't do that. We, they, we just, they just think it's maybe more social workers or lawyers. They're, they're, they're surrounded by a lot of people. So they told her that she was going to meet somebody new. And as we walked toward her, my daughter turned and looked at me and smiled. And my only thought was, oh, I found you. And I put my arms out to her, and she came right into my arms right away. And we spent the whole day with her, and they had advised us that even though she was close to three years old, she was not yet speaking very much. They said she knew a few words, but that she could be withdrawn and following the protocol of foster care. It's full disclosure. They read things to us from a, a dossier about her background, and uh, we found out there was not any abuse in her background or neglect. There, she had just been born to two young parents whose relationship did not last the birth and had been relinquished to foster care. And uh, we spent the day with her. We kept nodding to the social workers. Like, don't, not nodding, shaking our heads. Please don't speak in front of her. In fact, I even wrote it on a note at one point and slid it across to them saying, please don't speak in front of her because clearly she understands because I had said to her, are you hungry? And she had nodded. So, you know, three-year-olds understand. Mm -hmm. So as they were putting her in the car, this child who had not spoken all day, and it was just such an experience for us that they had to take her away, and I leaned into the car and tried to be nurturing and said to her, see you soon, sweetie, and she looked up at me and said, bye, Mommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got good on that part, yeah. Yeah, I just said, that's it, that's it. You know, as they drove her away, I to my husband, did that just happen? And he said, Yep. <laughs> and that was it. I tell her all the time, she chose us. She told me, you're my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Listen up, Mom. Um, we got a couple of questions, and, and I'm going to, but they, they tended to fall into two groups, so I'm just going to choose um, one from each of the groups. And so Anne's question was representative of one side, and she said, um, she seems, meaning you, uh, 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 Nia, seems to speak of having a very positive experience working with the foster care system. What would you say to us folks that have faced challenges time and time again and feel the system is not only failing children but also prospective parents? I'm looking forward to listening. And then, in contrast, we received a couple of responses like Misty's, she says. I think foster care adoption gets a bad rap, not only uh, on the Internet but in the adoption community in general. I also had a positive experience adopting from foster care. So I, I wanted to – I think that um, – how representative do you think, or you might not know, but um, do you think, I guess I should ask it that way, your experience is representative of uh, a typical experience in adopting from foster care? I think it's, um, I can speak to both questions and say that they're both right. 
it's our experience is 50% the norm that it's positive and then of course we have met people who have had not positive experiences with their social workers or being heard they could say please we're looking for a uh, a boy under the age of 5 and then they would be um presented with cases of multiple sibling sets who um have a parent who would clearly be fighting for these children back. Like I'm saying a situation that would only possibly lead to heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Over and over again I have encountered people, because I am now the national spokesperson for National Adoption Day, and my advice is, well, I try not to give advice, but what worked for us over and over again through this process is if something doesn't work, try something else. So if you feel your social workers are not listening to you or it's not a good relationship, Break up with them and go out with somebody else. It's just, it's like a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. If they're not listening to you, go find somebody else. I, you know, you, um, again, just because I want to present information that maybe you, some of the people who will be listening to this show will not necessarily know much about foster care adoption. You can work either directly with the state, or in, in this case it's really the county agencies you're working with, but it's the governmental agency, or most, although not all, most states, uh, allow independent contracts with private agencies to place their uh, to place children in foster care as well. It, it, and again, you can't make a general statement when you're talking about 50 states. But as a general rule, we encourage people to consider using the private uh, agencies. Um, they tend to be uh, less overworked. Again, there you know any generalization is is going to you know mislead people one way or the other. But uh, you know, if you and you did, you ended up working with an independent agency, and found them to be uh, very supportive. We also find that, as a general rule, they provide better post-adoptive care, which is important. Have people to to you know, ask and and ask questions to, and and have support. And you Just, really summed it up very well because they're overworked. These social yes. workers start their day every day with an, an overloaded desk, mm-hmm. and they are trying to do good and trying to place these children and match them with the appropriate home for this child. However, of course, everyone's experience is different. So, again, we did not have positive experiences in some aspects of meeting our, you know, the the road to our daughter, and then other people did. Like I said, uh, we had someone who had an excellent, easy transition of adopting a child from China and another friend who didn't. So I I just feel Mm -hmm. that... Sometimes as women, we tend to feel that we have to see things through and almost bang our heads against this brick wall because we are so good at getting things done. I truly believe that about our gender. And then I think it's okay to say to ourselves, this isn't working, and try something else. Yeah, I I agree with you, and 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 give yourself permission to listen to yourself. There are two ways that I would say, and I feel like I must say that I think your experience probably is not as, as typical of what we usually see with adopting from foster care, particularly children who have already been legal, whose parental rights have already been termi- terminated. One, your daughter is younger than we usually your daughter was, I should say was younger than we usually see. We encourage people to think if they're looking to adopt a child, one of the 107,000 that are currently waiting in foster care for parents, 
they tend to be over the age of five. The average age is eight. So I do want people to know that it's, although it's not impossible, obviously, <laughs> you your daughter came to you at less than three, that if, if that's what you're really looking for a younger child, we need to kind of explore a different opportunity for you. Um, but And the other thing is that the vast majority of children are in foster care because of abuse and neglect. That is the reality. That's the reality across the world. Children enter state care for two reasons. Uh, the, the vast majority of them do, and that is abuse and neglect. However, that does not mean these children are damaged goods at, by any means. Uh, abuse and neglect with help and care, uh, there are things that we can do, and it's just sometimes extra baggage that your child needs help carrying. Uh, it is baggage, yes, but, you know, somebody's got to carry it, and they could use some help along the way carrying it, and that's what parents do. Um, yeah, but I, I Go ahead. I'm so sorry. I was just going to say, when you use a foster family agency, what you uh, described, that's a free service. I just want to state one more time. It's a free service in mm-hmm. every state. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll counsel you on what you can handle. They want the match to stick. They don't mm-hmm. want to place a child in your home that you're not equipped to be the best parent for. Uh, in in And a lot of these kids, I, I have encountered so many kids at all these fundraisers that I do now and the um, CCAI in, in Washington. These kids age out of foster care with horrific backgrounds and go on to lead productive lives because the human spirit can mm-hmm. surmount a lot of things. Exactly. These kids, they're strong-willed. A lot of them go back into social work to try to fix this very broken system. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find it commendable. I've met kids that are so amazing, and I just think there's, I believe there's, Nothing that's done to a child can't be undone with love. I want to say that, but we know that there are some people on this earth mm-hmm. that God love them. What's happened to them? But if you feel that there's a child out there that you could be a good parent to, tell your social worker, yes, I am open to a child who has experienced abuse, or yes, I am open to a child who has experienced sexual abuse. If you feel you can take that on, you will have the support. You just have to ask for it. Well, and then the other thing is, Get educated on what it means that, and there are many. Uh, well, there are not many actually. There are some uh, uh, resources out there. Creating a family, obviously, is one of them. That is our goal to try to educate people because we believe so strongly that an educated parent going into adoption is more likely to be able to. That adoption is more likely to work out if they have education ahead of time and then support afterwards. Each state has uh, education that parents, it's great education actually, that parents have to go through uh, and they they don't candy coat it and uh, so it's that education is available, our education is available. Uh, so there are, uh, before you make a decision on what you could handle, learn something because honestly you don't, most of us don't know what all anything means. We don't know the different, uh, what, who, what type of children are available. We don't know how abuse and neglect can, can, uh, can, can be seen in a child or how it might not be seen. So education, uh, don't be afraid to, um, to, to reach out and find out information. It's safe. I mean, so you're finding out information. You may decide yes, you may decide no. All you've wasted is a few late nights on the Internet. Yep. You're probably going to be on there anyway, let's be honest. Um, yeah, I think that that's uh, – you chose not to do a domestic infant adoption. Why was that? We didn't choose it. Actually, that choice was chosen for us in that we were not matched. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried it, and um, it, we didn't. We weren't chosen. 
so again, I'm grateful for everything that didn't work because I learned how to do it. I provide the information mm-hmm. on the back of the book, mm-hmm. but um, it led me to my daughter, my daughter. So mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. Um, let's go back to talking just a little bit. I, I want to spend a lot of time on transition because I think the, probably the strongest, as much as I've enjoyed all of the book, and I did, um, I think some of the strongest section is your section talking about her adjustment and transition. But before we do that, I love the naming story, and, and since it is a sweet and I'm a sweet story, I'm a sucker for uh, sweet stories. So I would like for you to tell it. I'll, I'll give a little prelude. She was in your house for a couple of weeks, and you had continued to call her just Sweetie and Sugar or whatever your your uh, nicknames are, and you finally realized at some point you had to stop. You, know, you, you couldn't just keep calling her Sweetie, but you wanted to choose the right name, uh, and you'd already t- spoken as to why you were changing her name, and it had been encouraged based on her history and, and information. Your social workers have encouraged you. So I, I thought it was um, a sweet story. Would you tell how, uh, again, your uh, very determined young daughter uh, chose her own name. Yes. Um, by that point, we realized things had settled down. About three or four weeks in, she just uh, was feeling comfortable. And it was, um, I'm sure, from, you know, just us always whispering in her ear at bedtime, holding her and whispering, I'm your mommy forever. And Ian would say, I'm your daddy forever. And this kid slowly showed us she's funny, really funny. Um, she would cover the dog with a blanket and make a, I don't know, face when Ian would say, Manny, let's go for a walk. And she would, you know, show him, like, I don't know what you're talking about. She would um, love to pull my finger. You know, kids and flatulence, they can never yeah. get enough. Yeah. So she just showed that us that she That doesn't stop, by funny. the way, I might add. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we just knew we had to rename her. And, again, we tell her that we did rename her or she chose her name, but if she later on discovers her name when we all open up her file again and find out what her name was, if she decides to go back to that name, that's okay with us. That's her choice, of course. Anyway, we went through a book, and I thought, oh, I to do. I'm going to name her after my grandmother. Oh, I can't wait to tell my mom that I've named her after my mom's mom. So I leaned in, and I said, Evelyn, and she looked up, my daughter looked up and gave me a face of, don't even think about it. <laughs> and I went, okay. So then my husband leaned in and tried his guy, Vera, and she was like, mm-mm. She just screwed up her face like, don't, what? No. She wasn't keeping it, but we knew. She expressed herself. So one day I found a name in a book. It's a Greek word and an Italian name, I think, um, and it is Alaria put together with the second name Isadora, it means funny gift from God. And I thought, oh boy. So I leaned out the back door and I said, Alaria? And she looked right up at me like, yeah. (laughs) And I said, yep. And I said, is your name Alaria? And she nodded and smiled. And that was it. We started calling her Alaria. It's a beautiful name, by the way. Thank you. I love it. All right, before we talk about transitions, I just want to thank uh, another gold sponsor for their uh, generous support that allows this show to happen. Independent Adoption Centers have a mission of providing open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families in 49 of the 50 U.S. states, and their offices are fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, and North Carolina. Oops, and Texas, I should say. Now, I want to talk about transition. Um, 
yours was not a smooth and easy transition, and I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being honest about that. I think sometimes it's easy for us as adoptive parents. We, you know, a lot of us of us are suckers for the happy ending, and we tend to gloss over uh, the struggles that sometimes. Uh, they don't always. Sometimes it truly is a very smooth transition. But sometimes it's a rough transition. And I think that we do a disservice to those that follow us if we aren't honest about that because then they feel like they've done something wrong when they want to strangle their kid. So uh, you know, well, let's be honest. And so, uh, and uh, although you didn't use the word you wanted to strangle her, uh, you did say something at one point about wanting to shove a, a, a toy back at her into her face, <laughs> which I totally got. <laughs> Um, so let's talk. So she was almost three um, when she came to your house uh, and came to live with you, and she was living with you six months before, which is required before the, the uh, final the adoption can be finalized. Um, and uh, how did she respond um, to being uh, uh, placed? Uh, and how long had she been? Let me ask a question first. How long had she been with removed from her birth mother and in foster care before she was placed with you? Uh, we believe uh, that she had been living in a loving foster home for a, a couple of months, maybe up to four. Okay. And four months. So um, the transition coming to us, we don't know what was said to her, but it certainly the night that the day that we met, there you know she was loving and um, clinging to us. Well, when she came to live with us, she was pretty angry because she, of course, was expecting more rejection. And so she was trying to push us away to, to test, to just absolutely test, and it was not easy. But I had the benefit of seeing my own sibling's parent and seeing typical kid behavior at 3, at 4, at 5, at 17. The kids are kids, so we just tapped into... An, an, a seemingly bottomless well of patience that I believe all parents have the capacity to have in helping her transition. She she bit my finger. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think I call it eye-wateringly painful. Mm-hmm. I, I still remember it. She yeah. still remembers it as the funniest thing that she ever did. <laughs> <laughs> and things happened every day that you could only laugh about now. She didn't sleep for more than two-minute increments. Um, I know why, because we went for help. We went to a place called sleepyplanet.com. The woman there was fantastic, and she explained to us that children living in foster care, and probably all children, a lot of children, fear is a, a natural, it's a, it's, it's a thing that keeps us alive. So she was sleeping in two-minute increments for two reasons. She was keeping an eye on us to make sure that we didn't hurt her, and also she was keeping an eye on us to make sure we didn't leave her. Mm-hmm. And that, hearing that, was it stopped me in my tracks because I admired her so much, so much, this brave little kid. We were advised, don't let her sleep through the night, and we were advised to, I'm sorry, cry through the night, and to hold her, and that's what we did. We just moved into her room. We put a cot in there. We texted each other, like I would be in there, so that no matter, texted each other saying, I have to use the restroom, Ian, please come up here. Um, and uh, we stayed in there so that we could assure our daughter at 7 p.m., I will be here. I'm not going to leave you. I will be here. And eventually the two-minute increment, she'd wake up, are you there? 
yes, I'm here. I'm right here. I'm looking at you. And eventually the two minutes turned into 20 minutes, turned into an hour, a blissful hour where I could watch her. Her little body needed sleep so badly. And then she'd be up and looking at me again. And I'd be there. Finally, I'm happy to report very soon. With By the time we ad- we finalized the adoption, she slept 10 hours through the night. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's a huge. And, and as you point out, children who are going through, even though it is, we know, ultimately a good change in their life and it's a positive thing, children, even if they're older, don't really have the ability to know that. And change is stressful, and and your daughter didn't eat, your daughter didn't sleep, and those are typical things that people respond to of any age when they're under extreme stress. And as much as, and and of course it's compounded by the fact that the parents are also under extreme stress. So it's uh, it's it's helpful to go into it knowing to just cut yourself a lot of slack and just you know accept some failures, uh, be kind to yourself all of those, and look for progress, not perfection, which is actually my mantra in parenting anyway. But, you know, regardless, just look for little steps of improvement and accept the two steps back as long as you've, ultimately you've made a half a step forward, which is what you guys did a beautiful job of, it sounds like, with the help, I might add, of your wonderful mother. My gosh, what, how wonderful she was to come in and just support you and give you, I thought, oh, what a kind lady. So you oh, can tell her I my said mom. that. Oh, I'm, I'm so lucky, and my two sisters and my brother offering support, calling constantly. Also, the social workers from the foster family agency, in that very first day, they called and said, how's it going? And I said, fine. And they said, we know it's not fine, and that's okay. And then mm-hmm. I just told them everything. She mm-hmm. hasn't eaten. She hasn't slept. She's so mad. She's kicking and angry, and what do I do? And then they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I just want to let her be. If she's angry, I just want to let her express herself. Is that okay? And they said, yeah. And then my mom arrived later that day. And as I say, everything got better because my mom started to cook. <laughs> yeah, my mouth was watering when I heard what she was cooking, too. It's like, oh, wait. Yeah, that would be yeah, yeah. And who's to say that? And your daughter certainly started eating when good Greek food was presented to her. You know, it's so funny because the mistake that I made is I would follow her around with a cookie or a bagel or a piece of bread or things that I thought, this kid, this kid's not eating. The way that my mom got her to eat is my mom cooked, and the smell was so mouthwateringly good that by the time the meatballs came out of the oven, my daughter dug into them. Yeah. Well, and she also was settling down at that point as well. So tell us, how is Alaria doing now? You said she's eight? Yes, it's almost eight. I'm happy to report that this child who did was eyes, eyes downcast, withdrawn, did not speak, uh, you know, in, in uh, perhaps in a, in a timely fashion, um, tested early, tested as being ready a year earlier than usual for kindergarten, entered a school a happy, energetic, healthy, mentally healthy child and is flourishing, is so together that uh, last month, when it was her turn in class to present the This Is Who I Am moment, mm-hmm. where they bring in pictures and their dog and their family and everything, she pointed to the picture of her in her white dress and red sparkly shoes and said, that's my adoption day. Okay, 
First, I lived with another family and just told the class her story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, from her, it's just her story from her position, yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. I got really good advice from a mom at the Instant Mom Book Signing in Framingham, Massachusetts. I, I hear things. You know how you hear things every day and you'll just pick up one thing? Yeah. You never know what what's going to come your way. And this mom said, I say this to my daughter, you were adopted, not you're adopted. It's you a are adopted. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's also not a, her identity. You know, we have yeah. to be, it's, yeah, we talk about that and have, I've blogged on that. It's the issue of, yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's, it's, you know, and, and, and adoption isn't a, it, it does become something that we as parents need to, to think about and how to prepare our children. But on the other hand, from our children's standpoint, it's just a fact of their life. It's not necessarily the defining factor of their life. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Nia Vardalis, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. By the way, uh, it's a, I, sh- I uh, wrote myself a note to tell you it's a great picture of you on the cover. It's adorable. Uh, so, thank uh, you. The, uh, I'm the laying book? down, actually, which I call instant facelift. I'm laying down. The camera was above me. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. I need to try that. Now that you're saying it, I'm looking at the book. I see that. Ah, I need to try that for the next uh, uh, next picture. I say, okay, you got to get above me, and, and I need to lay down. Okay, I'll try that. Um, I uh, heartily recommend the book, Instant Mom. It is available now uh, at your uh, local bookstore. Uh, we always encourage you to go there to your uh, local independent bookstore or to uh, a bricks-and-mortar bookstore or, of course, on Amazon, let's be honest. You can easily get it there as well. Uh, If you want to participate in a discussion of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog and jump in with some comments and we'll carry on the discussion there. Uh, If you, as I mentioned earlier, if you've enjoyed the show and want to help us out, a surprisingly easy and effective way to do it is to rate it on iTunes and we appreciate that. In fact, we're quite grateful for it. Um, Also, last but not least, Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can can connect with me at Dawn Davenport 1, or no dots there, just Dawn Davenport 1, or you can uh, connect at Creating a Family on Twitter. On Facebook, I'm Dawn.Davenport1, or you can like our Facebook page or you can join our Creating a Family Facebook support group. The easiest way to find either the page or the group is just to type in the words Creating a Family in Facebook, and both of them pop right up. The UN estimates that there are 143 million orphans in the world, including 107,000 currently available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system. These kids, as well as the millions of older children throughout the world, deserve a home. To get more information about the U.S. kids waiting for a family, go to the Adoption Resource page at creatingafamily.org, where we include links to various photo listings of some of these kids. Thank you for joining us today, and I will see you next week. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. 
The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.